Good morning. It's good to see your faces. I, I was telling somebody the other day, um, they said, oh, I fell asleep in church on Sunday. I hope Pastor Mark didn't see it. And uh, I said, he did. He did. Because when you're up here, you see everybody's faces. <laughs> that just made some of you very uncomfortable. But, but yeah, it's, it's really a great vantage point. You know, the 14 inches that we have above you here. And uh, the good thing is I can see your faces. Some of you I haven't talked to in a while. It's good to see you. I'm glad you're here. Today we're going to be continuing our series on patriarchs. We spent three weeks looking at Abraham. We're going to look at Isaac and then Jacob and Joseph. And these were the four kind of fathers of a nation. All of them are found in the book of Genesis. And all of them not only are really important to our Christian faith, but we also see them in, in, in Islam. We see them in Judaism as being important characters in their faith as well. So it's important for us to know a lot about them. But here's the thing about them is some really uh, difficult things happened in their lives and really difficult things to understand happened as well. And so as we're going through these guys, we, we kind of are learning a little bit more, not only about God, but hopefully about ourselves along the way. And so we've spent three weeks in Abraham, and today we're moving into Isaac. And we'll just spend this one week on Isaac, because here's the thing about Isaac. Some things happen, but not great special things. But we're going to spend a little bit of time on him, understanding that, you know, these were ordinary people, but God used them in an extraordinary way, because he's extraordinary. So let's start out with Genesis chapter 26, beginning with 24. That night the Lord appeared to him, this is Isaac, and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you, will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. And this is what we'll be focusing on today, verse 25, and the building of an altar. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servant dug a well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these passages that seem just like history, things to be kind of looked at but buzzed through to get to the New Testament and see about grace and how we apply it to our lives. But Lord, uh, I truly believe that every single word in, in your Bible is applicable for us, things that we can find and understand. Lord, become more like you, that goal, to know you more, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I've asked a few of you already, and I got some great answers this morning, but how many of you can think back to your very first memory? It may take a little bit of exercise in your brain. Your first memory as a child, and some of you, uh, my wife, we've talked about this, she doesn't remember a lot of her childhood. Um, I was talking with one person this morning, and, and she remembers age three or four, uh, which is really long. That's a long time ago. I think mine was about the same thing, three or four, and it was easier for me to remember because we moved a lot, and so if I remembered a certain house, that means it was during this age range, right? And I've talked this through with my mom, she doesn't remember it, but I remember sitting on this little, I was three or four years old, sitting on this little plastic toy with four wheels, it was yellow, it was called Ollie, I don't know if anybody had an Ollie, but it had sticks for ears that you hold on to, and and I remember going down the hill on our street on Apache Avenue in Green Bay. It had yarn for hair, so you hold on to the yarn, right? 
And I just remember, I must have been going 60 or 70 down the road at the time. At least it seemed that way. And I kind of went out of control. The wheels couldn't handle that kind of speed, right? And I wiped out. And, uh, and my whole leg turned into like raspberry, right? I was a little bloody. And I remember going in the garage and the ice cream truck came by and my mom got me a push up, right? You know, that, the, the sherbet that's inside the toilet roll that you gotta kinda <laughs> go like this to make it warm to push it out. It's amazing that I, why do I remember that moment of all of these moments, right? Uh, and, and please, after service, share some of these these moments, these memories, but our, off, our memories often come alongside of significant events, significant moments in our lives, and sometimes something as insignificant as a push-up. But do you remember your first kiss? All right, let's go somewhere else. Do you remember your first baseball game? I remember my first time walking into County Stadium and seeing that great green outfield, and it was just enormous. Do you remember the place you got engaged? Yeah. I remember the place. It was on uh, Welch Hall in uh, the steps on Welch Hall at Central Bible College. I heard a bunch of missionaries all got engaged there, so I had to get engaged there. It was just getting Christine to that spot, right? Do you remember the time you really got lost or scared? Do you remember your first fist fight as a kid? Has anybody not ever been in a fist fight? I like you guys. When I was a kid, I got in way too many. Do you remember when Elvis died? This is the older crowd. Anybody? Some of you really, you're excited about it or no? Like... I actually remember, I think I was like six or seven when Elvis died. Uh, more pertinent, how many of you remember where you were at 9-11? Yeah, yeah, delivering furniture to Door County, that's what I was doing. We hold these places and events in our lives as being really who we are. They kind of all build on each other and they help define us. We remember so many things. But there's also some very significant spiritual moments in our lives. You know, you're here today, you walked into this building in this room in Ozaki County because either you are seeking a spiritual experience with God or you have had significant moments with God. And because of that, we're here today. But do you remember when you were at your personal lowest place? Do you remember the day that you made the decision that I'm going to follow Jesus? Some of you, you're old school and you actually have the date in the front of your Bible. I love that. Do you remember a time when maybe you sensed God said something specific for you? Or maybe a time when you felt shame because of your failure. Yeah, we all have those kinds of things. We remember the sacred and the struggling places of our lives. And all of those things help make up who we are. But here's the thing. For all of the patriarchs that we read, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, 
and Joseph, as we go on through, we see every time these moments, these significant times come, they built an altar. Often called God's table, but a place where they put together these rocks. And so many different things happened as a result of it. These places where humanity met the divine. And I want to talk about altars today because we see them a lot in the Old Testament. And for very diverse reasons, and we'll talk about those reasons. But I also want to talk about what's happening today. So today we're going to go over how altars were used in the family of Abraham and Isaac. What the Bible says about altars and their use for today. And how we build our own sacred space for God in our lives. And let's start out there, how altars were used for Abraham. As we know about Isaac, Isaac is the promised son of Abraham and Sarah. They were super old when they had him, and it was a miracle that they had him. Uh, Sarah was unable to have children because of her age, and yet God provided. And then God extends this amazing blessing to Abraham and says, you are going to be the father of nations. You are going to bless all people. Everybody who blesses you will be blessed, and everybody who curses you will be cursed, and and all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. That's a big thing to put on one guy, right? But it's true today. We all sing the song, Father Abraham, right? Because he's significant in our lives. He's the one who, from his line, from his family, we find Jesus. But God then hands this blessing down to Isaac, his son, he finds a wife named Rebecca, and from him, at least two boys are born, Jacob and Esau. Jacob, the youngest son, gets this blessing from Isaac, but he obtains it out of deceit. We'll be walking through Jacob and his life uh, in, next week and further on. But Isaac is challenged to live out his life by being faithful to what God had already said to his father Abraham and to continue on this blessing from generation to generation. There's a lot of responsibility. But altars were something that Isaac started building. The first altar was essentially built by Noah when he got off of, off of the ark. We see offerings given earlier than that, but the first one was built as a place of gratitude and devotion. Genesis 8, Noah gets off the, alt, off the ark and he builds an altar and he makes sacrifices on the altar. Right? You have to think about the animals that made it all the way through. Right? They made it all the way through on the ark. They are the separate ones. <laughs> and they get off of the ark and boom, they're the first to go. The things my mind think about. Right? In Genesis chapter 12, when the Lord gives this Abrahamic covenant, this blessing, this promise to Abraham the first time, he builds an altar in gratitude to the Lord. We see it again in Genesis 13. Whenever, wherever Abraham went and he kind of called home, he built an altar. It became a practical place for his life. The altar was used to remember God and the ways in which he provided for them. Right? Sometimes we often think it's just about blood and it's just about killing. It's not. It's, it really was a place of memorial. And gratitude unto the Lord. In other words, there's a place of worship when first altars were built. When I was younger, we spent a lot of time at my grandma Biddy's house. 
It's a great name, isn't it? Her real name was Mildred, and everybody called her Biddy. I think both names you just don't hear anymore, right? Uh, but I would go to Grandma's house probably five days a week. She was the matriarch of the family, right? We all have these significant people in our lives. My grandma had a whole bookcase full of photo albums, right? I, I, do, do any of you still have photo albums? Some of, well, wow, I'm impressed. Most of it's all digital for most people now. We have our wedding album. I was going to bring it today. I forgot because just we're really young. Um, but grandma, it was important for her. Come on, sit down next to me on the couch. Okay, grandma, sit down on the couch. And she would just flip through these pictures and tell stories and point to them and talk about these important moments in her life and why it was so important for me as well. And it was boring. <laughs> but what, what albums are is they are memorials. Right? They are these remembrances that bring to, to our minds again things we maybe don't think about often, that we forget. And for the early, church, early uh, patriarchs, they became these rock tables in which when they walked by, it was a memory of what God had done. It was a point of gratitude. Every time they walked by, their children, their grandchildren walked by one of these altars. Your great-grandfather built that because he said to you, he said to me, we're going to be a great nation. It was a place of remembrance. Psalms 103, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name, praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all our sins and heals all our diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I believe the Message Bible says this line, forget not all your benefits. It says, may I never forget the good things he does for me. I like that. Altars were built as a point of remembrance. Altars were also built as a place of commitment. At one point, Isaac's son, Jacob, kind of gets in conflict with just a, a local herdsman named Laban. And they've kind of the whole Isaac and Jacob story is all about fighting with neighbors, right? Uh, how many of you don't like your neighbor? Uh, you don't really have to raise your hand. But Jacob just wasn't getting along with his neighbors because there wasn't enough room for the, for the sheep. There wasn't enough room. They were always competing, competing for water. How many times does he... Does he dig a new well, right? He digs a new well, he digs a new well, everywhere he goes. Um, but Jacob and Laban quarrel, and, and eventually they come to this sense of, of a commitment to each other on what they're really going to do to make sure that both of their families flourish. And in Genesis 31, Isaac does it again, or Jacob does it this time. He builds an altar, a place of commitment, a place that was important. Earlier, I asked you if you remember the time in which you remember deciding to follow Jesus. And a lot of you are like, yep, hands went up. Everybody seemed to respond. A lot of us responded. Some of us remember actually the physical place. Maybe some of you it was here. Right? Maybe you remember another time when you made a commitment to God. And that, that, that day and that place became significant to you. 
I, I really think, you know, some of you have favorite songs or favorite preachers. And the reason that we have that is because there were moments when it was significant, right? And, and some of you say, oh, if we could just play that song again, right? And, and we could just open up to a place of prayer. God would just move. Well, he'll do that because it happened for you once. And so, you know, maybe somebody else has a different song. I don't know. It becomes hard, but the reality is these places of commitment become important to us. Often weddings are done here in the front. Sacred place of commitment. Sacred place of service. Sacred place of baby dedications. All of these things become moments, but a place of commitment is a place that an altar was built. Also, there were times when there was a divine encounter where God really created like a sacred moment with somebody. And usually, usually something like a theophany would come. And we use that word to say an, a representation of God in, in physical form, right? We see that happening uh, in Abraham and his discussion over Sodom and Gomorrah and other situations. When there is this encounter with God, people are like, whoa, that was huge. Let's build an altar. Right, And then we see that happening again, Genesis 35. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him. And he poured out a drink offering on it, and he also poured oil on it. And Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. Bethel, a significant moment in time. Now, here's the thing. They don't happen all the time. I was talking to a pastor about this. Do you know sometimes we don't get a lot done in a day? In order for me to get a lot done, sometimes I just close the door, and, and then he and I don't just sit up and talk for three or four hours on theology like we did this week one point. And we talked about these significant moments in our lives, but here's the thing, they don't happen all the time. But there are moments that we sense God's presence in a powerful way and those places become important to us. Those moments become important to us. And I, I really do think, both theologically and practically, God uses those moments to encourage us. Because remember, the just live by faith, not by feelings. But just once in a while, we need a little encouragement. And God just shows up. So as a place of commitment, a place of, to signify a divine encounter, and a place to seek forgiveness. And this is probably the primary usage that we see after Genesis and kind of fast forward through the Old Testament. Leviticus 4, Leviticus 16 all talk about it being a place of sacrifice as a covering of sin and a seeking of forgiveness. And we see it over and over again in the Old Testament as this place for temporary covering of sin. Romans 6.23 in the New Testament tells us why that was done, and it is because that the wages or the result of sin is death. And so death happens on that table. Death happens on that pile of rocks as a place of temporary covering of sin. And in the seven chapters of Leviticus, we find a cycle of these five sacrifices uh, for regular worship, it's a burnt offering, a grain offering, a sin offering, guilt offering, 
peace offering, all of them in different times and in different situations, also depending upon how financially fluid you were. In other words, how many livestock you had. All of that played into it. But all of it had to do with dealing with sin, dealing with failure in all of our lives. And the way that happened was through a sacrifice on the altar. And so it, it's really easy when you start hearing altar, you start thinking about it's just about sin. It's just about sacrifice. It's just about killing something or putting something on it, burning it up. But it's also about many other things of commitment, of remembrance, about important moments. So if that's what it was in the Old Testament, what does the Bible say today about altars for us today? Because things have changed. First off, we need to recognize the place of sacrifice is no longer needed because Jesus covered the cost of sin with his personal sacrifice on the cross. Remember, the wages of sin is death. So Jesus says, I'll take care of that. You won't have to use the altar for that anymore. I will be the covering. Hebrews 10.10 puts it this way. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We come today and accept the free gift of Jesus Christ. There's no need to kill anything else because there has been a perfect sacrifice once and for all for all of our sins. And therefore, the need for that is changed. Every sin is, recover, is, is covered once and for all. And we have the opportunity to know God. Our, our lives then become the place of the altar. The altar is no longer this pile of rocks. You don't see a pile of rocks up here right now, right? That, that this is the significant place, or maybe it's outside, or maybe a different place but here's the thing, the altar of God, now that Jesus has come and we've invited him into our lives, the altar is here. The altar is inside of us. Romans 12.1, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to your offer your bodies as living sacrifices on this altar here, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Let's look at Matthew 16. And Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself. Take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. So it's not just that we've accepted Jesus Christ, but also that we symbolically died to self. Well, I've got to say that different. Symbolically and in every practical way, deny to self. We die to us. We become the sacrifice of the self in order to follow Jesus. Right? We're fully alive and we have full life as we give our full life to Jesus. The scripture says here, we deny ourselves. Well, what are we denying ourselves? We deny ourselves the ability to choose. The idea that if he is Lord, he gets to choose the way in which we live. Denying ourselves, taking up our cross. 
So it's no longer needed to be a place of sacrifice of blood. Or, and our lives are now the places of the altar. So there doesn't need to be a physical place. But it's also a place of gratitude and divine encounter that is in us now. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy, find grace to help us in our time of need. All of these things now are happening inside of us. Now, it's great that we have this beautiful building. I really like the wood in the building. How about you guys? I like the wood, right? I think it's a, I think it's a beautiful building. I think people make good choices along the way. There's some electrical issues that run now and then and some piping issues, but... You know, we did a lot of the construction ourselves, I understand, so you get what you get. (laughs) I think there's some sacredness to this place. The sacredness that comes to this place is because we're here together. Next week, we can put a tent out in the field, provided it's dry. We can all get together and sit on some folding chairs and there would be some sacredness to that place. And it's nice to come to a building, but at the end of the day, Jesus is here. And, listen, Jesus is here. Now, can I soapbox for just a minute, pet peeve? really hard to do watching on TV. I'll get off. So we saw a little bit what was happening in the New Testament. We see in the, or the Old Testament, we see in the New Testament what altars have really changed a lot when the fact is that Jesus inhabits our lives, right? But also, how, how do we then build our own sacred spaces for God in our lives? And here's the thing about Sacred moments. Brother Lawrence put it this way. You need not cry very loud. He is nearer to us than we think. Some of you have come today and maybe you have a question for God. Or maybe you have a heaviness in your life. Or maybe there's been some choices that you have made that you are living in the repercussion of today. And you would really appreciate God just showing up saying what needs to be said and changing a little bit of what's happening in here right in here right he's closer than you think but let's talk just for a few moments about creating altars and sacred places in our homes i think there's something important about finding a quiet place in your home during different seasons of your life it's a little harder to find quiet places in your home some of you who have younger kids, you know that finding a quiet, sacred place is a challenge. It is a challenge, and you pray and you hope for those sleeping moments, right? But find a quiet place. Push out that uh, which does not please. Find that quietness and bring a sacredness to your home. I think that's appropriate. You bring your family, you bring Christ into your home. And there's some really, some really simple ways, right? Sit at the dinner table together and pray together. Read some scriptures. Now, all of you know, oh, that's a, that's a great idea, but we haven't done it in a long time. Do it again. 
It's never, it's never the wrong time to start the good things in our lives, right? So let's, let's start them, right? Let's get back at it. Family devotions, family prayer time. How many of you have ever sung a song as a family together in your home, right? Yeah, sing a song together. Celebrate things of life. Jesus is in your relationships in your home. So make your home a sacred place because of the choices you make. Decide what needs to be turned off on TV. And that's okay. Even if other family members disagree with you. Maybe that was too personal. So make a sacred place in your home. Make a sacred place with the family of God. I think I've already said it. The church is vital. We are vital. Right? I know. There's 308 chairs in the room. I look around. There's probably, oh, 160. 160 in the room. I know that because I've been to a lot of churches, and I've been in this room and hooked the chairs together. And it'd be great if it was 308 in the room. It'd be great if it was 308 in two services. Not because Pastor Paul or Pastor Mark want all those people in their church. Because it's good for you guys. It's good for me. It's good for us that we're together. Rubbing up against each other. Challenging each other. Experiencing God together. This is a sacred place. Because we're together here. So, make it important. Hebrews tells us, through Jesus, therefore, let us continue offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of the lips that openly profess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifice, God is pleased. So find that place of great community in a body that loves you and accepts you and walks with you. And if nobody has said it to you in a long time and you just need to hear it, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And we could take turns, and I could go sit down, and somebody else can come up here, and and somebody else that maybe you've never met before can look across this room and say, I love you. I love you. I love you. Because that's what we are. That's what we do. Finally, and this is the master class. All right? This 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 is the difference maker. Right? A lot of times we don't talk about this difference maker. This is the difference maker. This is everything when it comes to building an altar in your life. And this is it. It's the presence of God. It's always with us. It's not in a special place. It's not in a special time. It's not in a moment of need. It's all the time. David Brenner puts it this way. We cannot attain the presence of God. We're already totally in the presence of God. What's missing is our awareness. What's missing is our awareness. In other words, God is living and alive in us, those who have accepted him as Lord and Savior. And because of that, at any moment we can just choose to be aware of that. And yes, I said there are moments that he encourages us with emotions, with the feels. But in the meantime, he is always with us. But there's a problem with this. 
and I've seen it in our modern day, and that is if we recognize theologically and practically that the Holy Spirit is always with us, that he's always there, and quite often it just comes out that he's never there. Right? If he's everything, then it kind of morphs into he's nothing. Ah, I don't need to go to church. I really don't need to do that. God lives in my heart. I don't really need to read my Bible. I don't need to pray. God lives in my heart. Get get what I'm saying here? Right? That even though he is there, always there, we just need to be aware of it, that often that means that I can just push it aside and just live my life until the need comes and tap back into him. But he's here. I'm going to ask... I'm going to ask the worship team to come at this time, Suzanne. I'd like you to stand. We've got a few minutes, and I would like to spend a few minutes with you with just a prayer exercise, if you would. And this may be something maybe you've not done before, um, and, and you're free to participate with us in these moments. But... Uh, two things that I'd like to just, just talk about before we go there. The first thing is, whenever an altar was built, whenever a sacred space was built to either commemorate or experience this moment with God, this moment with the eternal right, whenever a sacred place was done, it took a little work. They had to find the rocks. They had to set them up. It, it probably took hours. It may have taken days to, to find the right pieces, to do the work. It was physical. It was physical. And the second thing I want to talk about is language that historically came out of uh, the movement of churches in which we're a part of. Evangelicalism, Pentecostalism. Uh, and there was a word that was used a lot that we really haven't used very much, and it's a word that we use the word tarry. How many of you have heard that used in church before? Tarry. Tarry basically means stick around and wait for God. Right? It means don't just get up and run off, but just wait for God. Just take a few moments and wait with Him. And so I'm going to ask us to do both those things. First off, something physical. And second of all, we're going to take some moments of tarrying or just waiting on God. And I'm going to go through just the simple acronym. Many of you have heard it before of of prayer. We're going to pause, P, right? We're going to take a few minutes of personal rejoicing. We're going to ask of the Lord and finally just yield our lives to him. And I'll just take moments where we'll commemorate each kind of focus. We'll end in a song. And you can tarry longer or you can go to lunch. But So my ask of you today is the physical, okay? The building component of it. I, I want you to get out of your comfort zone where you're seated you're at right now. And if you are physically able, I'm just going to ask you to kneel at your chair. If, if not, go ahead and just sit down in a prayerful place. But a lot of churches all around our area, a lot of different backgrounds, kneeling is a part of their structure. We don't do it very often. So right now, if you, if you would feel comfortable, either sit down into a comfortable place or turn at your seat and kneel. 
I've said it a hundred times in a church. Get alone with God in a room full of people. We're going to start with a moment called just pausing. Close your eyes with the Lord. Pause all of your concerns. Pause all of your anxieties. Pause all of your agendas. Pause all of your fears. Take a pause of your life just to be aware of the presence of God in your life. we pause the us to focus on you. Pause all of my hopes and agendas, all my dreams, all of myself. I deny myself in these moments. I pause to hear you, Lord, to be guided by you, to be just aware of your presence in my life. Now we move to the R, this time of rejoicing. I think the easiest and most practical component of this rejoicing is just some gratitude. So just be thankful to the Lord. What are you thankful for? Take these quiet moments and just list them. Thankful for all he has done and thankful for who he is. Lord, we recognize today that there is a God and we are not him you are creator of all things and all good things come from you and we thank you today in the midst of all of the questions and the pain that comes with this life we choose gratitude and to rejoice you now we move shortly into the A the ask Many of you, today is a moment to ask for forgiveness, or it may be a time where you're asking for some needs in your life. In just these few moments, I would encourage you, if there was one thing that you would ask of the Lord today, take these moments and ask that one thing. Lord, as we take these moments to ask for these big needs in our lives. These are things that are out of our control and something is a miracle because it doesn't happen all the time. Lord, some of us have been asking for miracles today. Things that we just can't change on our own. Lord, right now we offer them to you and trust you, Lord God one who loves us better than anybody. 
And now we go into the why, the yielding. Your way, Lord, not mine. Maybe the most difficult prayer, but to simply place our lives completely at the discretion of the one who loves us best. ourself to you. Follow us and guide us, Lord. Hebrews tells us to offer a sacrifice of praise. So worship team is going to lead us in a song. You can continue to kneel, you can sit, you can stand, but just give a sacrifice of praise today if you choose to be one that tarries today. Stay kneeling. Stay in your attitude of prayer, your place of prayer. Let's worship the Lord together.